Do you play an instrument? Uh, yes. <laughs> I play guitar, bass, hand percussion, keyboards, Ooh. Ooh, a little bit you're, of drums. You're a one-man band. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I used to work in a studio, so... He used to you book all our music at the Midwest Brewers Fest. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. I'm a one-man band. <laughs> Doesn't anybody know? Okay, yeah. never mind. But yeah, right. when, uh, a man of many talents. Yeah. A renaissance man. Or is that renaissance? I don't know. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll go renaissance. Are we on? We've been on for a while. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, my God. Excellent. That's good. It's my discussion. secret piece. I was you know? thinking, you know, you should do, like, the conversation between. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just really keep the bloody stuff, thing running. Man. No, uh, so we're Hot on mic. to... Hot uh, mic. Danger. Sorry, what? Hot yeah. mic. Danger. Oh, yeah, <laughs> Alright, alright, quieten down now. Live from the Britain Yankee Pub Studios. Another Britain Yankee Craft Beer Pubcast. I can hear the pints being pulled right now. Not a while, dude. Bring the drums in. Let's have a party. Pump up the bitter. Shh, test it. Pump up the bitter. Pump up the bitter. Take it away, lads. You are paying for that beer, aren't you? Pump up the bitter. Pump up the bitter. Well, welcome to uh, Pubcast number 310. We are expecting a guest host, Ken McMullen, who has got stuck in traffic or is just bloody late. Late for his own funeral. Sounds but like Ken. Thought, yes, and that mm-hmm. dulcet tone in the background there is Mr. Dan Rosenberg, Howdy. who is the head brewer at Migraine Brewing, where we are in Joliet. Yeah. Now, I want to correct everybody to make sure that the echo is not the fact that I'm in Stateville Prison or anything. <laughs> we just happen to be in a back room, which is nice and quiet, but uh, we should be getting all sorts of uh, echo in the background, but it's not coming through too much, right. which is good. Now, we are in a rather grand building. Yeah. Migraine is right next to the railway station. Was this the railway station? So this was actually the original train station in Joliet. It was built about 110 years ago or so. Uh, I know John Bitterman's been on here a couple times. He can give you the full history of Joliet. He's our local historian. He but, is, and he was on last week's show. Oh, right on. He, I mean, he probably could have told you about as much about this building as I could. I believe one of his relatives worked on it back in the day. But, yeah, this was the original train station, um, and, you know, they decided maybe about 10 years ago or so that they were going to build a new station on the other side of the tracks, get a nice public works program going, modernize everything for the new railway system that's coming between uh, St. Louis and Chicago. And this building was just kind of sitting vacant. It's a, you know, it's a national landmark. It's a beautiful old concrete building. And city was looking for something to do with it. They've rent out the upstairs for, you know, parties, weddings, stuff like that. The old grand waiting room. And it's a beautiful room up there. But down here was just kind of sitting empty. The city's got some offices on the other half. And this space was just sitting here. It's the old Amtrak offices. So we moved in, popped in a brewery and a restaurant. And... 
it's you know it was a blast doing construction on a 110 year old concrete building that vibrates every five minutes but you know we we managed <laughs> so, to seal up all the leaks oh so the trains go through then right uh yeah so you actually you won't be able to hear it on the mics but if you listen close you'll kind of hear a rumble in the background right now that's my stomach okay no sorry. i i promise you that's that's the train so this, this building still butts up against the train tracks our right. back wall is you know is the support wall for the train tracks my grain room is actually underneath the train so if it when i'm in there graining in i can tell you which track the train's going over just based on how loud it is in there so does the train stops at the station the, the, the passenger the or is it just passenger trains stop okay. and the station's right on the other side of the track so it's still essentially the same stop um but the um the transport trains for like the cargo trains they just go right through uh, there's a rail yard a little bit further up that they stop at, but we can still hear them rolling through. Of course, Joliet is, well, was, and perhaps is going to be again, mm. the center of industry. Um, there's the canal that goes through here, right? Isn't there a canal or a river um, or something? Yeah, so the I&M Canal, um, that, that, was, that originally went through here. Uh, it essentially goes from Chicago to... Uh, well, it connects Lake Michigan to originally to the Mississippi River before they went through and reversed the flow of the Chicago River. Once they did that and they managed to connect everything with natural riverways, the I&M Canal kind of became a defunct thing. But it used to be, it, it sounds a lot grander than it is. What it really is is about a five to ten foot wide ditch that they dug that oh. they, would, they would put these little floating barges, and barges is really generous. They were maybe ten feet long okay. at most, and people would walk them with donkeys along the side of the river. So oh, it was right. just a way, way back in the day to get transport or to get cargo transported back and forth because Chicago was, you know, with the, the most inland port that the nation had. Uh, since they reversed the flow of the Chicago River, now we've got the Des Plaines River kind of runs parallel to the I&M Canal for most of the way, and yep. that connects through. So that's a, it's a big natural, natural waterway that a lot of stuff gets transported through. So, so if you had a boat, you could jump in that boat. Mm -hmm and go all the way to Le Mans and visit Pollyanna by Absolutely, by yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah, they're, they're right next to it. We're maybe, I think it's maybe about a quarter of a mile up the road okay. from us. So maybe we've got a new thing, you know, instead of a trolley trip around town, you yeah. can take a uh, barge trip or something up and down, all the, all the ones that are on there. So, <laughs> yeah, I would love to set something up like that. that That'd be, be a cool, blast. Man. Yeah. <laughs> I used to do float trips every summer with, uh, with a bunch of my friends down the, uh, du the DuPage River. So, yeah, something oh, really? like that would be a blast. Oh, cool. Well, um, we've thought of a new thing. There we go. Yeah. It could happen. Um, but just before we get into the history of migraine, you're not the only brewery in town in Joliet, right? No. Uh, so Joliet's got a really rich brewing history. Again, I, I defer to John Bitterman on that. He can tell you a lot more than I could. But if you look around this room we're in, and if you ever come and visit us, we're over in our private dining room. We usually don't have it open except for special events, so ask to see it if you come in. But we we had a local artist recreate a bunch of the posters and brand art for a lot of the original breweries that were in Joliet. So like we've got Citizens Brewing, Porter Brewing Company, uh, Fred Searing Brewing Company. Joliet used to be this kind of brewing mecca and then you know prohibition hit after prohibition a couple of them tried to come back but never really you know got footing they all eventually closed down john's got this really cool picture of a, one of the breweries tried to still produce during prohibition he's got a picture of them actually destroying the brewing equipment it's it's kind of sad but it's a really wow. cool picture to see um and then for the longest time joliet 
just didn't have a brewery. Uh, it was the largest city in America by far that didn't have a brewery. It was kind of crazy. And then we opened up, and a couple months later, uh, Elder Brewing opened up right around the corner, which is, you know, he's a, he's a small little electric brewer. We've done a couple collabs with him. Well, I say we've done one. We've got another one planned. Uh, we just did a dry hop kettle sour that you can come try on tap at either one of our places. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of nice to see the area popping back up to what it used to be. Is there any plans for other breweries to open up? I mean, it seems like these days there's one popping up on every corner. Oh yeah, and I mean, again, if you go like kind of by a per capita basis, Joliet could probably still support another you know four or five, but. Right now, as far as I know, there's not plans for anything new. We had a couple open up over in uh, Shorewood over the last couple mm-hmm. years. Uh, Mad Hatchet's actually having their grand opening today. I don't know right. when. I don't know when this drops, but you know today's 4:20 for you know, yeah. for all you potheads out there. There you go. <laughs> it'll it'll go out next weekend. Oh, all right. Well, yeah. So hey, go visit Mad Hatchet. Uh, Foz over there is a really good guy. He's got some fun beers over there. And then Will County's Will County. over yeah. in uh, Shorewood as well. And we uh, we did a brewed IPA with them maybe God, about six months ago or so. And yeah, Jamie. Uh, Jamie's a great brewer. Joel's a good brewer over there as well. It, it, it's it's becoming a nice little uh, mecca down here for for breweries where there wasn't anything for a long time. And that, and that's really good. I like the way everything pops back up and people are able to keep going. Now um, we always sample beers and we have a nice flight here. Yeah. But of course, there's always the calibration beer. It's the first one you have while I'm doing setup and everything. You said, what would you like? And I said, well, you have a pale ale. I said, well, you have an IPA. He said, well, i got a pale. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, excellent. And it came to me in a, a delightful, what are these, IPA glasses or whatever? Yeah. So they're real nice glasses with the... the bottoms that are thinner and wobbly and yeah so for those of you who haven't seen one before Spieglau came out with the specialized IPA glass Uh, if you want to post a picture of it on your Twitter I guess it's it's a really unique really weird looking glass it's essentially uh, kind of a teardrop bulb on top and then it closes down and instead of a stem you've got little concentric bubbles that kind of come out the point behind that and I'll uh, as you're drinking it you can kind of see it as you drink it you know, the, the liquid level goes past those bubbles in the bottom, and then when you put it back down, it forces the beer through those bubbles and just kind of releases more carbonation. The idea is you get those IPA aromatics the whole way through the glass. Mm. I see what you mean. Yeah, it's, that's it's pretty cool. Yeah, they made one for stouts that's kind of the same shape but only has one bubble, so it just releases a little bit of those aromatics, and they're just they're the perfect IPA glasses. They came out a little bit before we opened up and I had a couple beers out of one and fell in love with them I was like hey that's what I want my 16 ounce IPA glass to be it's it's you know perfect it's beautifully designed um, and it looks damn cool yeah it's, it's a really <laughs> cool glass now even more important of course is the beer that's in it and when it came to me I said that that looks like a real pale ale I mean yeah. it's a beautiful amber copper color a bright mm-hmm. bright copper um, the head was just sitting on there quite nicely. The taste is delicious, and in fact, I think I could be tempted to say that this was bordering on an IPA level, but sure. um, this is delicious. Tell us the story behind it. What's it called? So, so it actually is an IPA. Um, and oh, it is? Yeah, and oh. we actually we brewed it with uh, Ken, who just walked in now. So. Hello, Ken. Ken can tell you a little bit about it too. So, hang on a minute. I have yeah. to reprimand him for being late. Sit in the corner. Hello, Ken. <laughs> Bad Ken. Were you busy at the brewery? Uh, no. 
Oh, okay. I was stuck by a train. Oh. Uh, there was a fire truck. Uh, some old lady was driving slow. There was this dog, and I don't know. What else do you want, Phil? <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's okay. Did the dog um, eat your homework? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that too. Uh, we were talking about this delicious brew. I'm going to let you have a sip of mine. Uh, mm. A sip only, because it's bloody delicious, all right? And that is... Uh, so that is the, the beer that we actually we brewed with Ken and a bunch of other people. It's called uh, From Pale They Came. Um, so when you asked for a pale ale, I said, well, we have this pale beer. Pale is the Plainfield Ale and Lager Enthusiasts. Yep. Okay. Uh, it's the homebrew club based out of Plainfield. Ken and I were both members of it along with a bunch of other professional brewers. So mm-hmm. Ken really put it together. We all got together about a month and a half ago over at Workforce and brewed this beer. The club was founded around 2010, so we wanted it to be kind of a circa 2010 IPA. Uh, just really clean, crisp, not not at all hazy, very nicely finished. And then uh, the one thing that we threw in to kind of show where we're at now is we threw in some new experimental hops from, uh, from I think it was HBC. God, I don't remember. One of those that. numbered yeah. hops. It doesn't well, have a name of, yeah, yet. It doesn't have a name. Right. Yeah, honestly, like you... Let's, let's you, think of a name for it. Fred. Like Fred <laughs> I, the Hop. I would, I mean... <laughs> they came from pay. Oh, yeah, the hop. We got to name the hop. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, we do have to name the hop. We'll, we'll come up with something, but... I had actually, I was the only one who had brewed with that particular hop before, so when I saw that Brando had it sitting in his cooler, I was the first like, yes, that one, that one. It's, it, it, you, it's the first hop that, you know, you always read those hop descriptors, yep. and it'll be like, oh, it has like hints of stone fruit and mint and a little bit of basil. Yeah, right. that's, that's the only hop that I've ever actually gotten mint out of. It's, it's really interesting. So. Am I supposed to taste mint in this now? You might get a little bit on the back end. Uh, though I, I brewed a West Coast with it about a year or so ago maybe maybe eight months ago and we featured it a little bit more heavily than that one featured it and you really got the mint on the back end <laughs> this one it's a little bit more citrusy old school west coast ipa but we found you know using it more you got that mint and we really well, wanted to play that up if this is the quality that comes out of uh, the pale home brewing club then they should start a brewery themselves. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's funny. Excellent. It's funny you say that because there, there's there are now 20 pro brewers that have come out of Pale that have at least been members of Pale at some yeah. point, and uh, and they represent four, well, 15 different breweries now. Can you name them? I know there's you, all of them, and uh, there's Brando down yeah. at Force. There's Mark Wilson, right? Mark Wilson. Mark Wilson. Um, Corey over at Midnight Pig. Oh, well, he's, he's not, not at anymore. Midnight Pig anymore. Oh, okay. Sorry, Corey at wherever he's Miskatonic. Going. Oh, over at Miskatonic. Yeah. Great. I'm glad he... Uh, hey, I, I love the guys over yeah. at Miskatonic. I think he'd be a great fit there. Um, Wartendike from... Yeah, Wartendike from Workforce. From Workforce. Well. Uh, um, the one that just opened today. Oh, um, Matt Hatchett. Matt that's Hatchett, yeah. Mike Fosna. Um, and if you want to know about Matt Hatchett, just go listen to Average Joe's podcast. You did a great job. Yeah. Um, let's see, other than that, we had, uh, we had Ashley Hayden, who uh, was formerly at Two Brothers, works for New Belgium now. As okay. a, she's the regional quality control, I believe. Yeah. Uh, I, I think they call it Beer Ranger. Beer which, Ranger. God, I want that title so bad. It's yep. so cool. There's, there's three at Pollyanna. Brian uh, Pavola, Brian Quirk, and, of course, Ed Malnar, our mm-hmm. first president right. of Pale. Okay. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, and the 11. list goes on. Transient. Oh, yeah, Eric, uh, or uh, Chris oh, Betts. Transient yeah. is having their anniversary today. I just got a call from no. Tom Ryan, who was on the last show, mm-hmm. who was heading up to uh, heading up there, and he says, yeah, they got anniversary beers. <laughs> their anniversary beer is absolutely awesome. 
Awesome. So. I, I'm going to be up there next weekend, so I can't wait to try it. Hopefully, they got a little bit left. Oh, that's um, cool. Oh, Steve over at uh, Hailstorm. Yep. He was the other one. Ed Nash from Arclight. Yep. Uh, Mike ba- Mike Bohm, who's at Dogfish Head now. Wow. And uh, cool. Dan Burr with the oh, Scallywag. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Matt Molitor. He, oh, yeah. And he's Matt. an investor there, so he right. counts. So the list goes on. Yeah. yeah. And the, the one person that's listening that we forgot, I, I am so sorry. I, I, oh. know there's, I know there's at least one more. But. Well, and there's Pete Draminski and uh, Chris Heinen from oh. Oswego. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. right. Oswego okay. Brewing. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, the, you know there's more. It's all right. There's always at least well, one. Oh, so, well, Tim at Goose. Let's do an official. Oh, yeah, Tim We apologize yeah. if we've missed anybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but we, we could do this all day. On today. Probably the most famous one is Tim Faith over at Who? Goose. Yeah, I, I mean, really. Tim, Tim Faith, he's the, uh, they call him the innovation brewer or the yeah. experimental uh, brewer, whatever. I'm just saying who, you know. So. No, um, we're going to focus back on Dan Rosen. Yeah. Okay. We're going to come back in just a second. I set up a. Can I? Uh, can I, can I say something real quick? Well, yes, you can. I, so when I first came in, Dan has what I thought was a big spill on his shirt. It looked like a big, like, um, did you dribble? But it's the shadow of the mic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of tucked over in the corner, so the lights are all just kind of... <laughs> like, what were you guys doing before I got... It is 420. It got a yeah, little exciting. <laughs> 420? Why? It's the, the date. April 20th? You don't know what 420 is? Oh, sorry. Well, sorry. We're going to tell him off the 24. air. Huh? Yeah, whatever. We'll get oh, to it. Oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> you guys, you brewers, when you get together. All right. We'll take a quick break, come back, and we're going to sample the first in a flight of four that uh, I selected. And uh, I think it's going to show the range of your beers, which uh, I think is tremendous because you don't have all of the same. Yeah. Even though you've got four variants of one, but we'll come to that shortly. Yeah, we'll get there. All right. beer that uh, I wanted to try very much as the first beer mm-hmm. is Yolkosh. Yeah. Does it have a name? Uh, it's called FNL Kolsch. FNL. Uh, yeah. It uh, stands for Friday Night Loner. Oh. Um, so if you've ever tried to name a beer as a professional brewer, you find pretty quickly like, damn near everything's trademarked. So one of the things I like to do is go on Urban Dictionary and they have a new word of the day every day. And since they're, they're new words or new phrases that have just been invented, you can usually still steal the trademark for it on a, on a brewery basis. So probably about three or four of the beers that we have on tap right now are, uh, from, are from Urban Dictionary names, and that's one of them. Friday Night Loner is, I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory. It's just someone that likes to sit at home alone on a Friday. So <laughs> I'm alone on a Friday most nights. Uh, mm, no, that's not. sad, uh, Phil. But anyway, so um, <laughs> this is very crisp and clean. Now, for a Kolsch, are you, I'm, I, I'm not really, you know, up on this, what the style guidelines should be, but at the end, should there be a little breadiness or not? Um, there, there usually is a little bit of breadiness on the back end. Ours, we use a, um, we use a blend of uh, cologne malt and pilsner malt on it because we okay. just wanted it to be a little bit more on the crisp side. Um, 
we're you know we're we're a pub down in Joliet. It doesn't have a huge craft beer scene yet, but it's getting there. So we wanted something that was going to be nice and approachable for the people that you know wander into our restaurant and want the thing that's closest to Butter Miller. So we say, well, yeah, try this, but without all the acetaldehyde and without all the skunkiness and without all the rice or corn syrup. And you do a pilsner as well. Yeah, we do. That's pretty traditional Czech style pilsner. Um, use Czech sauce hops in it. Um, I actually use the uh, Vine Stefan yeast in it because that's that's just my favorite lager yeast, and we use it in the Doppelbach too, which we'll get to on the back end. But again, just nice, crisp, clean. Got that uh, got that little bit of dry spice note from the uh, from the Czech sauce hops. And prior to us sitting down here, we went in the back and took a quick look around the brewery, and we came across uh, what I, th- I wasn't quite certain what it was, but it was an enormous, great big plastic tank that was part of your water uh, purification or water... Are you doing RO? Yeah. Whatever. What is it? What do you uh, call that So it's a, it's a reverse osmosis system. Um, okay. I don't know where most of your listener base is, but I assume most of them are in the Chicago area. And you all have Lake Michigan water, and I love you, but I'm super jealous of you because that's some of the best water in the world to brew with. We're out in Joliet, and we are just past where those Lake Michigan pipes really stop. So we're on an aquifer. The water out here is really hard. It's got a lot of sulfur, a lot of iron and magnesium in it, and a lot of calcium. So if we were going to, excuse me, if we were going to brew with that water just straight, we would have just a nightmare brewing these really crisp, clean lagers. We could brew a really bitter IPA, but that's about it. So we made the decision much instantly once we figured out we were going to be in Joliet that we were going to have to get an RO system and build our own water profiles. So what an RO system is is essentially a series of filters. It's a couple carbon filters, a couple of uh, you know more intricate filters, and then a UV filter on the back end that essentially strips it down to pretty much just pure H2O. There's not really a lot left in it. Mm. Uh, and then we add our own salts back in. So every beer that we brew has its own water profile. That's why we're able to brew a Kolsch that tastes like a traditional Kolsch or a Pilsner that tastes like a traditional Pilsner. Those, the, the water up in those areas is extremely soft, so we can do something with almost no salts in it. Then on the other end, on our IPAs, we can go really heavy on the water salts and you know really play up that bitterness to it. Okay. So yeah, the, it, the the reason for the big tank is it takes a long time to to make RO water. Yeah. So as much as you need to mash it in. Reverse, oh, reverse osmosis. osmosis. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You said that. Okay. Never mind. Yeah. So <laughs> so that that giant water tank. Uh, ours is it's about a thousand gallons. The reason we have a thousand gallon yeah. tank is it with that RO system makes about two gallons a minute. And I need water a little bit faster than that. So if we were just relying on that system just by itself, when it yeah. came time to run water through my plate chiller, I'd be I'd be shit out of luck. Yeah. So how much how much water do you actually use when you're making a batch of beer? Right. You mash it. You're putting your barley in, and you've obviously taken it up to a certain level. And yeah. You know how much is that? Um. So when I grain in, it's. I mean, it depends oh, on the beer. Grain in. Okay, grain in, mash out. Right. Okay. Well, yeah. So, so when, sorry. When it, when I mash in, I usually it depends on the beer, but it's usually somewhere between two and three hundred gallons of water. Two hundred gallons. Okay. Two hundred gallons for a smaller beer. Three hundred gallons for a bigger beer. I think the highest I've gone is like three fifty for some of our big imperial barley wines and Russian imperials, and then sparge. I lo- I like to keep the uh, the head of liquid on top of it the whole time, so it's usually another two hundred gallons or so. 
Okay. And then, you know, you need some additional water for cleaning and all that fun stuff. Yeah. And that's... The, the can't you use just the regular water for cleaning? Um, we can, but I, you know, hot water works best and my RO tank feeds into my hot liquor tank. Got it. So... The other thing is if you have hard water that you're putting chemicals in, it, it, it's not as, it doesn't work as well. You, the, yeah. the more pure water, the better the chemicals work in it. Yeah, I would essentially have to double my chemical use if I was using just our straight water for cleaning. So if you had a home brewer, uh, so for example, take me. Okay, I'm, 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 I have a, I don't know, I don't brew. <laughs> I, like to, I like to sample the end product, but not brew. Um, but if I did, my water comes out of a well, and just like you said, I think it must be an aquifer down there somewhere, yeah. and it has a high rust content, and don't know what else is in there, but if I don't soften it, and if I don't you know, cl chlorinate it and clean it up, it, mm -hmm. it goes, goes uh, orange. So if I was to brew, obviously I'd be using like five gallons, if I'm doing something, you know, a five gallon, what do they call big big mm -hmm. pots to pour yeah. it up in, right? Could I use five gallons of purified water? Uh, so depends on what you mean by purified. If you're using distilled water, you're going to have to add salts back into it. Uh, same if you're uh, usually if you just go to the store and get one of those uh, like five gallon jugs. That's usually an RO system that that's coming out of. So okay. you'll want to add your salts back into it. Um, I think they've actually started selling little packets now that just have water salts that'll mimic a region at homebrew shops so i would say just pick up one of those and toss it in your strike water so you don't want completely pure water yeah. you do want to have something in it and yeah the, the yeast needs those minerals um the the ph of the mash will really affect the flavor that you get out of it too if your ph is too low or too high you'll start pulling out astringency you'll start pulling out tannins all sorts of all sorts of bad stuff you'll also just have a really inefficient mash because the enzymes won't be able to work if the pH is too skewed one way or the other. Okay. Um, I mean, if, if you want to get into water chemistry, we can, but it <laughs> no, is... No, no, no. <laughs> uh, I'd I recommend... Exactly. <laughs> like, I, I, do a, I do a beer training with all my servers, and we go through, you know, water, uh, barley, right. yeast, and hops, and I always save the water slide for last, and I start going into water, and then the slide that comes up is water chemistry is so boring. We can, like, we can talk about it if you really want to. I'll sit in back and go on about That'll water chemistry pop. for a I, get, I got an interesting water stat here. So okay. most breweries... The, the amount of water it takes to make one glass of beer is like five or six glasses of water. Most craft breweries are at that. The ones that have their own settling ponds and are treating their water, um, like, like Sierra Nevada or maybe uh, New Belgium, they're getting their ratio down to like two or probably not two, three to one. Yeah. You know, but it takes a lot of water to make beer. Right. Yeah, I mean, just the water that we need for cleaning alone is about the amount of water that I put in maybe a half a batch. But, you know, it's it's always one of those goals to get more efficient with an yeah. RO system. The downside of an RO system is for that every two gallons or so that I get, I'm kicking about three quarters of a gallon down the you know, down the drain just as waste. And if you if you saw that stuff that's coming out of that waste tube, you wouldn't want to drink it. It's no. <laughs> it, it's it's the cloudiest, grossest looking water you've ever seen. It's mostly calcium and iron, but still counts as water coming out of my tap. So it's it's unfortunate, but you know, the other side of that is we try to be as efficient as possible. You know, we always right. we always take our o wa our o water, run it through our chiller, and then back into our hot liquor tank. So we're recycling that water and getting a second use out of it and at least using it for cleaning, so. 
So let's get back to the history of migraine. When did you open? And I believe there were two guys who are the owners, Vince and Greg. What, yeah. What's this backstory here? Um, so Vince and Greg met. Uh, Vince was a, a trainer at Greg's gym uh, up in Chicago. And they, you know, started talking. Uh, Greg had just sold his previous business, was kind of looking for something new to do. And Vince was a home brewer. Um, so they, you know, started talking, sat down, had a couple lunches together and decided, hey, we really want to open a brewery. That eventually evolved into, um, then evolved into what you see here today. Um, but in the time in between that, Vince started volunteering with me at my previous brewery, um, just to kind of get a feel for what it was like to work at a brewery as a brewer to, um, you know, really, really just kind of wrap his head around it. And that's where he kind of figured out, all right, I, you know, I love doing this at home, but we should really hire a brewer that knows what they're doing on this big stuff. That eventually became me. While he was there, he really picked my brain on where the industry's going. And, you know, I was able to kind of bounce a lot of stuff back and forth with him. Decided we were going to do a pub just because pub is uh for for me at least and he took my opinion and you know greg really liked the idea too you're really developing a lot closer relationship with your customers mm -hmm. the, you know the people that are drinking your beer it also allows us to brew a huge variety of beers if i was just a production brewery like you know let's just take revolution or lagunitas as an example yeah. they brew a variety of beers but the stuff that they brew the most the stuff that they kick out a lot is just maybe four or five things we really wanted to kind of stretch on that. So went from being a production brewery to a pub, then they talked to the city of Joliet when they were looking for locations, this space came up and it really all just kind of clicked into place. Um, so he kept volunteering with me for maybe about a year or so there um, while Greg was focused on getting all the logistics together for construction and once construction started, they were pretty much here all the time and it was, maybe maybe about nine to 12 months of construction. This building was in really rough shape when we took it on. Again, yeah. it's, you know, it's a hundred year old concrete building that vibrates every 10 minutes. There were some problems, but you know, once demo was done and we got the floors poured, they, uh, they hired me on as the brewer and I got all the equipment installed and you know, here we are, place looks beautiful. You'd, you'd, if I showed you the pictures of what it looked like before, you'd never guess it was the same building. It's um, definitely, has the feel of a solid building mm -hmm. and I'm gonna suspect that some of the work to get the electrical where it needed to be you had to go through stone walls and things like that so yeah and it being an older style building um, there's a lot of you know load-bearing walls and pillars that you wouldn't see in a newer building a newer mm. building you know yeah. you could you could have a whole wide open floor with maybe some like one by one pillars here and there to support a structure here if you come in here, there's there's still the big old style four by four pillars. Um, thankfully, we only had to replace one of those. For this this space was empty for about ten years. You know, you had hobos coming in here, living in here, water damage. You know, pretty oh, much wow. anything that you could have imagined, we saw. So we we had to drill out every one of those pillars and take a look at them, and only one of them was rusted. And, you know, if you if you look closely when you look around, there's there's one pillar in here that's suspiciously bigger than the rest of them. That's the one. That's the main pillar. No, that that's, that's the, the one, one that we replaced. had to replace. Oh, I see. I and then you. there's one other giant pillar that is the main load-bearing pillar for this side of the building, and that's what we wrapped our bar around. So, as this is a 
national landmark, do you mm -hmm. have any issues or did you have any issues with having to, you know, get permission to drill in? Because I know the mm. folks down at Banging Gavel, of course, are in yeah. a very historical building and every screw and nail has oh. to be approved, right? So. so the city of Joliet was really great to work with. The local historic society was great to work with. The only thing that we really can't do is uh, attach anything to the front of the building. Uh, fortunately, you know, I don't know how many decades ago they decided that they were going to build an elevator shaft and redo the side of the building. So that's not grandfathered into the um, to all the historic clauses that we can't do. So we were able to put all our signage up on that elevator shaft, which yeah. is great because it's the tallest part of the building on that side anyway. And we were able to kind of take out the side of the building and put in some big picture windows. And you know, as far as putting a sign on the front of the building, we just you know we have our sign mounted to the sidewalk six inches in front of the building it's it's one of those things that kind of seems like a big deal when you first think about it but it's it's pretty easy to work around and they've been great to work with the thing about those historical societies is they they don't want these buildings to just be there and be empty they want them to be things and putting something cool like a brewery in an old historic building they were totally on board with and it's worked out pretty good yeah. this is a pretty cool this is a pretty cool brewery when you look at you know this there's a lot of light industrial park breweries. There's not a lot in train stations and old cool. What is that? Yeah, Flossmore is the only <laughs> one I can think of. Uh, I know there's one up in Michigan that I'm totally blanking on, and there's one in, I believe, in uh, Colorado. What's the stone on the on the outside of this? Is it's just old concrete limestone. Limestone. Yeah. How appropriate. Um, it's a, as you're wearing your old <laughs> limestone brewery shirt. Yeah. Um, <laughs> The, you brought that up just to say that. No, 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 I didn't. <laughs> one of one of the really nice things about our reconstruction, too, is um, there used to be, and it was built at the same time, so it was all the same stone. There used to be just kind of like a three-foot-high barrier around, and there was like kind of, kind of a little park. We needed a truck dock for the side of the building, so they dug up that part of the park and repaved it all and replaced a lot of those barriers with bushes. And now whenever a part of the building needs repair, they can take one of those old concrete blocks and actually match it in. So we've actually, we've got part of the stairwell on the far side of the building is, it, this last winter was just a little too much for it and it started crumbling away. So rather than trying to patch it up and match that concrete, they're just gonna pull the whole stone out and put one of the old ones in. All right, That's well, cool. we're gonna take a quick break here, come back and uh, sample our next beer. I'm not certain which one I wanna go with. I'll, I'll converse with Ken on this and we'll decide. <laughs> and then we can talk about your uh, brewing system. Sure. So you have a boppledock? <laughs> okay, wait a minute, I've only had a couple of samples. A doppelbock yeah. um, named? Uh, the world's greatest. The world's greatest yeah. doppelbock. <laughs> and um, as I look at it, um, it's an, it, you put it down on your light colored tables mm -hmm. and it almost looks cherry colored. Yeah, but it's when you lift it up, view. you've got that nice dark, uh, what is this? Amber? Ruby. 
I would call it what ruby, it? ruby brown. Brown? Yeah. Oh, okay, brown. <laughs> well, I was thinking we'll, of we'll kind of reddish. Brown. It's really yeah. a deep reddish brown. Very yeah. clear, great clarity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, it's, tasting it sure. is an experience because it's very light, mm. light maltiness compared to what I've had other Doppelbox. Mm-hmm. Slight dryness, a lot of creaminess. Mm-hmm. Very, very nice to drink. A good mouthfeel. Yeah, Tell us about we, it. So we really shot for that sweetness on the back end, and you know, a lot of those, a lot of those brown malts, you know, like the, you know, definitely some special bean, some caramel malts in there. So you get those caramel toffee and even a little bit of that raisin note in there. Um, we really just wanted it to be a nice traditional Doppelbach. Uh, Greg, one of the owners here, is like he's. Uh, Polish immigrant and he he loves these traditional lagers and you know these old world beers and I I'm a huge fan of them too and I really want to see them kind of catch on in the states so mm-hmm. I always try to have at least one or two of these beers on tap and the the Doppelbach definitely fits that bill it's a nice heavy beer and it really kind of shows the range that you can get in lagers a lot of American drinkers still think of lagers as you know light yellow fizzy water because that's mm-hmm. what we've been drinking for the right. last you know hundred years or so, but Doppelbach is a lager, and it's the opposite end of that spectrum. It's big, it's got a huge mouthfeel, sweet, and has all those toffee notes that you could get in a brown ale or an amber ale or something like that. Is that what you're drinking? Yeah, that's what I'm drinking. There you go. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's actually kind of, a, you know, for, for the, a big beer like this, it's, it's got kind of a medium body to it. Mm-hmm. But it has this lingering finish that you get with lagers. It's just yeah. really enjoyable. The other thing is, I feel heat in my stomach. Yeah, what's, what is, the, what's ABV the ABV on this? Oh, this one's about 8%. 8? Eight? Eight okay. Yeah, so it's, you know, again, kind of breaking through those molds of a, sorry, breaking through those molds of a lager. People think of lagers as, you know, the typical 4.5% Pilsner that we've mm. been drinking here in America for years and years. And it doesn't have to be that. This is the same yeast that we use in our Pilsner. It's the, just the traditional yeast that they uh, originally cultured and made famous at the Weinstefan Brewery over in Germany. But it's, you know, you can get so much more out of it than just, you know, fizzy yellow water. You can get something cool. What are those brews that have to end in Ator? You know? That's a Doppelbach. That's a Doppelbach, right? Okay, because yeah. I'm thinking of... Down at Nevin slash Midnight Pig, they had a one that was you talked about eight percent. I mm-hmm. think theirs was nine or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Bo- box are always they're they're usually goat related. Like there's a goat. <laughs> some somehow there's a goat head. It didn't come out quite right. You know. <laughs> yeah, for for whatever reason that just got tied on to the the branding of it. You know, it's. I think that was the original one, wasn't it? I believe so. Yeah. Had, had a goat as the as the emblem or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. But. Yeah, but it's, um, you know, it's just one of those traditional beers that we, you know, we, we saw what our crowd here was drinking and we thought, okay, well, let's try and make them, make them stretch a little bit. Our, our Pilsners and our Kolsch, like we were talking earlier, those are our best sellers here because we're a pub down in Joliet and that's, that's just what our crowd likes down here and we're trying to make them stretch a little, so. I, I have to say the more I sit this, the more I want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a very Moorish beer, not to mention the yeah. company. But it, it, no. It's, it's it, definitely it's, a beer that's gotten me in a little bit of a trouble. Yeah. Oh, it's... Yeah. 
It's wicked. Wicked. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it tastes like a sessionable beer, but oh, it is not. You you do not want to drink five or six of these and then try Ooh, to stand up. Bloody hell no. <laughs> so, um, aside from doing excellent selection of beers, mm-hmm. which um, I think can be paired with food, you have a full restaurant, right? Yes, so we do. Are you looking or have you done beer pairing dinners? Yeah, so we've... Um, We've done one beer dinner here so far. We're going to start doing more of them eventually down the road. It's just that, you know, it, it, there's so much work that goes into it that we just haven't had time. We've been in a, we uh, kind of glossed over it earlier. We haven't even been open for two years yet. We're right. still, you know, scrambling to keep up. But as we have free time, we just brought in a new chef uh, a couple months ago. Now that he's settled in a little bit, we'll probably do something. You know, don't quote me on it, but we're going to shoot for something late summer. For what? For a, a beer, a beer dinner. dinner. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, the one that we did before, we got, you know, such a great response. We just, you know, again, we just haven't had time to sit down and plan one out. So, so do, you, do you find that the... And I want to pose this question carefully because I don't want to insult people in Joliet, but you mentioned that people down here, they're more of the Pilsner and the straight up, you know, the, the, the clear lager or the yeah. golden lager post. And are they more yeah. meat and potatoes people here or are, is it is the taste changing? I wouldn't say that. The, you know, the taste in food is definitely... It's definitely there. Beer-wise, it's just still not as mature of a beer scene as I've seen in other places that I've worked, which, you know, nothing against them. It's it's great. Actually, I really love the beer scene down here. It's It's been really fun to work at, but it, it you know, it really focuses on, again, the light lagers and New England IPAs, and we're still kind of working on breaking in on all the other styles, but... You know that. That being said, we have plenty of adventurous people that come down here, and they just want to try everything. And you know, we're only doing four beers t- here today. I've got, you know, I've got 19 beers on tap right now. We've got a really huge variety. All um, yours, or do you have guest taps? Uh, all ours. The only guest taps we have are collabs that we've done. So, okay. like the the pale beer that you had, that was actually brewed up at Workforce. So, mm. while it counts as a guest tap, we were still involved in brewing it. Uh, same with the Elder collab we did. We brewed it over at Elder, but we brought in a couple kegs of it. Well, you had a hand in the pale. I want to yes. make that clear. You had a hand in it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, I did. You know, so, you know, it used to be that every market was an emerging beer market. It. And so a big, a big part of running a brewery was educating the population around you. Mm-hmm. And so you, you're growing your own clientele, really, as you educate people. So that's what you, I assume exactly. you guys are doing here. Every time a server meets a table, they're, they're advancing the cause, right? Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's really fun to watch the same people come in. Maybe, you know, they come in the first time and they have the Pilsner and maybe the IPA. And then a couple months later, they come in again and they're drinking, you know, one of the stouts. And a couple months later, they come in and they're trying the Doppelbach or, you know, some ridiculous barrel-aged beer that we have on. Like, right now, I've got a barrel-aged barley wine with uh, cranberries and plums that we brewed. You know, again, we brewed that with the Pale Homebrew Club. You know, that's one that people eventually work their way up to. Not our best seller yet, even though it's a barrel-aged beer and those tend to move really quick. If I was to package that beer and shoot it over to Chicago, I'd be sold out in a day. But we're keeping it all here and in-house because we want we want to kind of help train the local beer crowd a little bit. Would you consider canning one of those, that barley wine, so we can put it on our December barley wine show? <laughs> if, uh, if, if I could, I would, but I've only got so much of it left, and yeah. I want to hang on you're to doing, as much as I can. doing crawlers? 
Yeah, we do crowlers. There you go. Oh, there you go. We could. Uh, would it? Ke- so there's a question. If you had a crowler of it, would it keep? As long as it's filled right, yeah. A crowler and cereal hold as long as a can of beer will. I, th- right. I think crowlers may have less dissolved oxygen in them than a than a growler. Yeah. So theoretically, they should keep longer. That that's generally what stales your beer mm-hmm. is the dissolved oxygen. Yeah, and most um, most places you go that fill a growler, they usually don't fill it properly. The idea is to cap on foam. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I can hear my uh, my bartender filling a growler now. That kind of hiss sound. We always you know CO two purge out our uh, our growlers, which right. again most breweries don't do with a growler. And then if you cap on foam, you ensure that there's no head of oxygen sitting in there. So you, you get as little as possible. And really, once beer's out in the market, your two biggest beer spoilers are heat and oxygen. So When, when he says cap on foam, all those bubbles in the foam are filled with CO2. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So as long as you're capping on foam, you're not getting yeah. oxygen in there. Right. Yep. And then a, a crowler's just a little bit better seal than a growler, so... You know, in theory, it should hold up better than a growler. Again, that it, there's for every brewery and bar out there, there's you know 15 bartenders filling growlers. So it always kind of depends on you know individuals doing it. But as long as it's filled right, it should hold up. So you said you did um, classes or at least sit down and got the bar staff, mm-hmm. you know, uh, to understand where you wanted your beer to come out. Yep. Um, do you have them? Certified as CBS, you know, certified bar servers. Oh, the is it, is it beer servers? Beer server. Yeah. Uh, Cicerone program. The, yeah. So we haven't bothered with that just because I'm a brewer in-house and I can train them on all that. There you go. Um, it's one of those things that we certainly encourage, but if you if you actually look at the like the first level Cicerone, mm-hmm. it's all like you'll see those certificates up at certain places. All they teach at that first level Cicerone is essentially how to pour a beer. Yeah. If you're working as a bartender and you don't know how to pour a beer, you shouldn't be a bartender. <laughs> it's, it, you know, the, the basic thing that I see everybody screw up, and if you're a bartender and you're listening to this and you do this, you know, just silently correct yourself. But everybody likes to actually have the tap under the beer to kind of correct foam issues, or they'll actually tap the glass up against the, uh, the faucet. Don't do that. That's how you spread bacteria. That's the number one thing that they will teach you in your level one Cicerone certification. So... There you go. I've just taught you everything you need to know. Go, go get your level one. And save me 65 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> and with that, I'll thank you. And we'll take a break and come back to a spring beer. Right. A seasonal beer. Ooh. Indeed. So we're onto your saison, named yeah. uh, City of Stone. City of Stone, which yeah. is Joliet. Yeah. It's, it's okay. So if you ever Google Joliet, Illinois nicknames, there are so many nicknames for this city. It's City of Stone, City of Champion, City of Iron, City of Steel. We've actually got a double IPA called Iron and Steel because of that. But City of Stone was one of them, and we really dug that nickname. And you know, we're in the heart of Joliet down here in this big old stone building. So we figured, hell, that's a 
perfect name for a Saison. And of course, most people will know Joliet from Joliet Jake and the Blue Brothers. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Who sit down in the Britain Yankee pub, by the way, the, the oh. small statues. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, So you know the prison that they come out of in the beginning of that. Yeah, Stateville, that, right? That, that Jake comes out of. Yeah. Is now open for tours. You can walk and through it. I talked to somebody who was doing bocce ball or something tournaments in mm-hmm. there, and I can't remember who it was. And I know she's going to kill me because I forget. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's a it's I a just, happening place. I just yeah. got an email about a uh, beer fest that may happen in there. Yeah, me too. This year, we so. were um, so we were really surprised. Um, I want to say it was last fall. All of a sudden, our distributor called us. I'm like, hey, do you have like an extra 20 or 30 cases of your Stateville Stout lying around? Which that's the last beer we'll get to. Mm-hmm. But uh, because they're they're doing this concert thing at the old prison. Like, uh, when are they doing it? We would have loved to have known and participated. Like, oh, uh, on, on Saturday. And this is a Monday. Like, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I've got... 12 kegs of it let me chuck them back in the bright tank and we had the cans sitting around ready to fill so we quick did a canning run for it but yeah they're doing a, a couple concerts a year there now it's a real cool place wow cool. well the saison is a um i usually look at a saison and, and the color tends to vary right so yeah. this is not on the straw colored light yellow side mm-hmm. this is on the more heading towards a copper color is well, it? So, uh, it's so difficult we, to see it. Yeah, we're, we're in a little bit of a darker room. It is pretty light colored. And that's it's, good because you don't want to see us. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I don't know what okay. you're talking about. You're real pretty. Okay. Ken, <laughs> hey, I've whoa. seen enough times. <laughs> but, no, it's, it is on that lighter color. Maybe yeah. like maybe a hair darker yeah. than typical, but that's just because it's not a, it's not a hazy Saison. Mm-hmm. Um, ours, is, ours is very traditional. We didn't throw any Brett in it. We just threw just traditional Belgian Saccharomyces cerisiae in it. And, you know, it's a beer that really, we we wanted to feature the yeast. We wanted to show what these Belgian yeasts can do. So we we started off at about 72 degrees, let it ramp up to 80 degrees. And you really get these cool, these really cool esters that you just don't get from any other yeast on the planet. You know, you get, you get a little bit of bubblegum note, you get some dry spice note. It's, it's just that whole range of flavor. And then as far as the malt bill goes, it's just pale malt and a little bit of uh, rye malt in there just to play up those dry spice notes a little bit more. I, I, I'm going on a journey as I t- taste this because mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's lingering. There's yeah. a little, and that's a little like, little almost black pepper. Uh, yeah. yeah. The bubble gum is definitely evident. It's, it's really... It's really delicious. Yeah, this is beautiful looking too. It's nice. Yeah, this clear is a beer, beer that you can have sitting out on a nice sunny day. Now, mm-hmm. let's talk a little bit about um, the environment here. You know, you come into the big brewery area, mm-hmm. and you do have an outside though, right? Yeah, we've got a patio out there that uh, we'll be opening up probably next month. Uh, they're redoing the tuck pointing on that side of the building in the next couple of weeks, so we got to wait for that to be done. And then uh, I've got some uh, old barrels that we've converted to planters as hot plants out there that'll provide the shade once they grow back up. But yeah, it's you know it's just a nice little patio. It's it's Chicago. People want to hang out outside and drink. So as, as much as they can. Yeah. yeah. Right. Exactly. For all yeah. two months a year that you can yeah. do that. <laughs> it's hey, one it's, in the spring, one in the fall. It's the uh, it's the biggest drinking market in the country, mostly for those two or three months a year. Everybody yeah. just comes out and 
likes to party. Yeah. And then that uh, that patio we have uh, faces the street that uh, the baseball stadium around the corner all walks by. So we usually get people just kind of wandering in whenever there's a baseball game. So. Boy, this is good. <laughs> yeah, I really know. like. Yeah, this. I know. I love yeah. this. This is on this. really drinkable. Uh, it's just like a five and a half percent. Five and a half. I yeah, it's, I mean, it's a saison. It's not supposed to be crazy, and there's there's so much range in that style. Yeah. Um, we were talking a little bit off mic about. I mean, there's black saisons out there. Ken's brewed one with cardamom, and you know, there, if you go out and have like a, if you have a saison Dupont, it's going to taste totally different from this. They're both still saisons. They're just, you know, they throw a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of bread in there, get a little bit of that funk. Ours is a little bit more of a controlled saisons, mm-hmm. just a Saccharomyces yeah. cerevisiae saison. You can you can go all over the place, or like you go down to St. Louis and you have a side project saison, and it's a straight up sour. It's just whatever whatever Belgian yeast you want to put in a pale ale. You know, it it's a saison. Yeah, and I, I don't know if it was on mic or off mic now. <laughs> we were talking about Trinity Brewing, and I just uh-huh. tasted one called a Naked Saison, which was tremendous, but it was completely different looking to this, mm-hmm. and so much more, um, so much more Belgium-y. Yeah. You know, it's got it's got so much more yeast in it. Oh, yeah. This one is really easy drinking. I think this is going to be very popular. Mm-hmm. It's, it's been it popular, and we actually, if you uh, if you come to our brunch, we actually make beer mosas with it too. Ooh, you which have is, a brunch? Yeah, we do. Oh. It's uh, every every Sunday from I think it's from ten to two, if I remember right. I work back in the brewery. They don't tell me the hours or any yeah. any of the specials. <laughs> I, I'm I'm just back in my cave all day. But yeah, we we do a brunch that's absolutely outstanding. If you're looking for something to do on a Sunday, come on by. I I I try to only come once a month because I was gaining too much weight from the uh, the pancakes, but. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about your background. Sure. You know, obviously you were a home brewer with Pale. Mm-hmm. So where did you go from there? Because we've done a podcast together before. <laughs> yeah. Another location. You'll, you'll have to go history. back maybe 100 yeah. or 200 episodes or so. But yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so going into my background, I, um, you know, like a lot of people, I started drinking craft beer, you know, late. 2000s or so and just really fell in love with it there was this craft beer bar in Plainfield that doesn't exist anymore called Finnegan's that really kind of you know trailblazed out here and one of my friends was a server there and it's like Dan you have to come by and drink these beers this isn't like anything you've had before so came out there started drinking like this is amazing within six months or so found out there's a homebrew club that meets here you know just kind of started up not too long ago you should come hang out at a couple of their meetings came to my first pale meeting there met ken met ed brando you know all those guys we've talked about before um and tried my first home brews and was like oh oh you can you can do this at home this is great where do i get the stuff and brando's just like well i just opened a shop back behind the binnies over there why don't you come by hang out so i you know started coming back there hanging out i was working as a sound engineer at the time with a day job that i hated but you know was looking for something to do during the winter months because during the winter if you know anyone here has ever worked in in the entertainment industry during the winter there's not a lot to do so you or you you need you need something to kind of fill those gaps in so started home brewing really fell in love with it built my own system up um and started hanging out at the homebrew shop a little too much so the holiday rush came around and Brando said, hey, I need a little help during the holidays. You want to maybe work for one of these new Blickman pots? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. 
and then holiday season rolled over. He's like, hey, I it stayed busy, need some help a little bit more. You want to maybe work here over the weekends? That turned into, you know, every weekend working there. He built his new shop a uh, little bit more close to Central Plainfield. Um, there were, you know, doing that build out with him was a blast. I got to go through the whole process, you know, kind of sitting in the background watching what he was going through, opening the place up and, you know, coming in and helping out in my free time. Uh, me, him and his dad did a lot of work building that bar and, you know, kind of arranging everything there. And it was, it was so much fun. And then, you know, stuck around at the new place. That place eventually decided, hey, we're going to open a brewery and it became workforce. So got to go through the whole starting a brewery process with him. Then it kind of got to a point where, well, I, I hate my day job. The, the sound engineer stuff is fun. I love doing it, but I can't really make a career out of it because yeah, right. I don't want to be so, the, the house sound engineer at some bar. So the, uh, the job opportunity came up at what was then Urban Legend Brewing Company right. to be a taproom manager and do a little bit of the brewing there. So I went and jumped on that. Um, within, I want to say about eight months or so, I was the head brewer there just because there was some, uh, some turmoil with the ownership there and the original brewer left and spent a good couple years there just really kind of honing my craft and getting things back in line there. It was in it, that, that place, you know, I, I love them, but they were in kind of rough shape when I came on board. But was the creature one of your recipes? That was not one of my recipes. Oh, um, okay. I went through and you know, adjusted a lot of things in it when I, oh, okay. uh, when I came on board and we, we got it to a much better place, but yeah, I, I can't take credit for that recipe. Okay. Um, the, mm. the stuff that was really mine was, um, we did, uh, it was called the Kaiju series. We named mm. a bunch of, we named a bunch of beers after these old Japanese monster movie monsters. Right. Cause they're all in public domain and they all have really cool names for beer. <laughs> like we did Batra and Kamakuris and Angiris and it was, you know, it, it was a blast. And I, um, I really brought in a barrel age program there as well. We did some, um, some more Imperial barrel age beers there. And of course um, they've changed to myths and legends. Were you there then or did you left? So I, I went through the process with them of, uh, changing to myths and legends. Um, Long story short, there was a winery in California that was also named Urban Legend. Oh. The original partner knew about it and was in talks with them, but then when he left, it, that kind of got shunted aside, and it eventually got to the point where they were like, look, it, it, we were fine with it before, but we're expanding out, and one of us has to change our names. So it was cheaper to change a name than to fight it, so changed the name to Myths and Legends, which still allowed them to keep all their branding. And uh, then, you know... Shortly after I left, the place was bought out, and now it's Whiskey Hill Brewing Company. Right. Three three names in a short period of time. Yeah. So when you left, you came here. Exactly. So I, I left, and I kind of disappeared out of the brewing scene for about <laughs> six months because construction here just really dragged on. Right. Um, but it's been, it's been really fun to kind of open a place from scratch and really just establish things from the ground up you know when I when I came into Myths and Legends I um, you know the the guys that were there before me were great but there were a couple things that needed to get cleaned up and I wasn't able to really build the place on my own reputation I was building off the backs of them mm. here I'm able to really start building it on my own mm. and you know Greg and Vince have been absolutely fantastic on the ownership side and they've uh, they've really built the place up as well and it's it's just been fun to 
you know, kind of come out and see the reactions of the beer just from a completely unbiased standpoint. Before, you know, if, if you've ever come in and replaced someone, you're always being mm-hmm. compared to the person you replaced. I wanted to, you know, start from a, start from a nice, clean, open space. Right. Well, speaking of clean, I'm going to finish off my saison here, which is very clean. Uh, you mm-hmm. finished yours, Ken. Yeah, I got to run out and feed the meter. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute, it's free on Saturday. It is? Yeah, yeah. I know. I paid three bucks Shut for a parking up. lot across Well, there. I only paid one, so cool. <laughs> so we'll All stop, right. come back, and talk about what, I th- what seems to be a uh, flagship or signature beer here mm-hmm. at, um, at the fine Migraine Brewing. And by the way, we want to find out where you got that name from. Stateville Stout yes. appears to be your flagship slash signature mm-hmm. beer because you have the baseline beer mm-hmm. plus a number of variants on tap. Uh, Tell us about it. Come on. Now, this, so having a stout is, a, yeah. is kind of a bold move, mm-hmm. number one, instead of a bloody New England IPA. Yeah, well, so I should say we, we have a New England IPA on tap, so if that's what you like, come on down. You do. We're, yeah. Absolutely. We're, Good. It's, you know, like, like I said before, we're, we're a pub so that we can have variety. I got 19 different beers on tap. Just right now it happens. We're, uh, we're doing a special with, um, so Stateville Stout was one of the beers that we opened with. And it wound up being way more popular than we could have possibly imagined. It's a chocolate stout, um, so milk oh, stout base. That's what it is. Oh, yeah. okay. I've been tasting it here, and I'm going, that's not just a regular st- Is it a milk stout? Uh, so, yeah, it's a milk stout, milk stout with, with a lot of based. chocolate malt. So mm. we, we brewed the original batch of this beer and figuring, all right, we want it to be a chocolate stout, so we're going to have to do the standard chocolate stout thing and throw a boatload of cocoa nibs in it and just, you know, spend a lot of money on this commodity that, you know, is going to probably vary in price like crazy. But we, um, when we were building our recipes, I started, you know, meeting with all the, uh, all the malt suppliers, and one of them was like, hey, so we just started carrying this maltster out of the Netherlands called the Swan. They're, uh, they're winning a bunch of awards, and they've got this chocolate malt. Why don't you give it a try in your chocolate stout? So I said, all right, sure, whatever. We're a new brewery. Worst case scenario, I'll pivot after the first batch, and we'll, we'll tweak and adjust. Everybody expects us to do that. So we, we brewed this batch of Stateville Stout, ordered a bunch of cocoa nibs, just had them waiting to get delivered while this batch was in the fermenter, and then tasted the batch in the fermenter, and like, holy crap, this chocolate malt is ridiculous. We don't, we don't need any cocoa nibs in this. This is outstanding. So canceled the order of cocoa nibs, and what you have is what you get. It's just a 7.4% chocolate stout. Oh, whoa! 7.4? Yeah. I was going to say it was like something like, oh, this is about 5, right? Yeah, that, oh, that sweetness really kind of balances everything out. Um, so it is a milk stout, got that little bit of lactose in it, and just mm. other than that, it's just... Base malt, chocolate malt, a little bit of black prince for color, and that's it. It's it's a pretty simple beer, but it's outstanding. Uh, that's what I was going to say. It's a simple beer because it is what you taste, right? Chocolate. Mm-hmm. You've poured us... Now, the one that is the baseline has been... Pardon me. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. All right. I, I've done it a couple times, yeah. this podcast. Um, 
this is this has been sitting here for a while and mm. it's warmed up yeah. and it's I think all the flavor is being released you've given us a variant because mm-hmm. you have three f- or variants yeah so right now uh, I mean by the time this goes up they might be gone but the this last week we ran a special where we decided, you know, this has been one of our most popular beers. We're going to play around with it. We're going to do some variants. So I brewed a batch and did three individual kegs of three different variants. One was we threw a bunch of vanilla beans in. One we threw some coffee from our friends up at Ten Drops Coffee in. And another one we went with the actual original plan and threw in all the cocoa nibs, which is what you guys have now. Yeah. So, this is what we have here. Yeah, so this would be the, the double chocolate state bill stout. <laughs> mm. And it is, it, it is chocolate. So I was trying to figure out whether it was the vanilla one or the chocolate one. Mm-hmm. I knew it wasn't oh, it's definitely chocolate or anything like that. It's definitely chocolate. Yeah. But man, now I taste it. This is like a dark chocolate. Yeah, it's, I mean, to me. Like Baker's yeah. chocolate, right? Yeah, to me, no. it's kind of like chewing on a, like a dark chocolate. To Not Baker's roll. chocolate. This is a Bourneville chocolate. Mm. A what? Bourneville chocolate. It's actually the, the closest I chocolate I've found is. to it, and it, it makes sense because it's actually the cocoa nibs I got. But um, if you ever get like a 80% cacao um, from Ghana, like a chocolate bar, from Ghana? that's what it tastes like. Yeah. I get that every day. Oh, yeah. They fly I, it in for me. You can get it at Whole Foods. <laughs> actually, the, the, the only reason I know that comparison is every now and then Aldi has that. Oh, if you if you okay. look in their like little premium chocolate shelf, they they'll have that. So I, I mentioned Bourneville. Bourneville is a st- stereotypical English dark chocolate, mm-hmm. and I think it's made by Cadbury's. Yeah, and Cadbury's got bought by Kraft, but that's what it reminds me of because it's not the real like you say the eighty percent really dark mm-hmm. could be bitter, you know. This is smooth, delicious, but you know you're getting something chocolatey. Yeah. So if you don't like chocolate, you're buggered. But <laughs> yeah, and that's why, like I, I, I do. <laughs> when I was shopping for the for the nibs for this, I saw that you know nibs from Ghana was an option, and to me, like, oh, this is this is a milk chocolate stout. That's gonna play perfectly with this, and you know that that Bonville, it, it fits from Cadbury. Cadbury makes that nice, rich milk chocolate. You can totally see why you'd make that comparison. It's um, that that's what this yeah. is. It's a milk stout. That's no, just this super this chocolate. is the dark chocolate Cadbury. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, not the milk chocolate. Well, I have to correct you there. It, it is <laughs> it is Cadbury. They still make their milk chocolates, but they yeah, do. it's yeah. It, it's it, to me that's what it tastes like. So. Um, as we sip here on these luxuriant chocolate beers, mm-hmm. um, what's in the future for the fine... Now, wait a minute. I, I, I haven't asked you. Where the hell did you get the name migraine from? Because I, when, when you say that, people go, what do you mean, migraine? Are you mm-hmm. going to headache? So, yeah. So, so we've been saying that. It's actually spelled M-Y-G-R-A-N. Correct. Um, but it is named after the headache. Um, so Vince and Greg were sitting around trying to figure out what they're going to name this brewery. And we talked about it a little bit earlier. In the brewing world, if you try to name anything, you're going to find that someone has a trademark on it. Um, there was a, you know, we, we've all gotten cease and desists from other other places, and I, like I know Ken's gotten one, I've gotten Actually, one. Actually, I think that's a brewery name. 
It's a potential brewery. Cease and desist. Cease and desist, yeah. where you go for as many as you can get. <laughs> so they so they originally named the brewery Golden Spike Brewing, because um, we're in oh, an yeah. old train station, uh, if you know your American history, as they were, when, when they used to build all the train lines that kind of connected the country together, they'd start from both ends and work their way to the middle, and that last spike that they would drive in would be a Golden Spike. Um, Perfect name for a brewery and a train station. Sadly, another brewery already had that that uh, that name trademarked as a beer name. So, you know, again, they were back to the drawing board and just kind of sitting in an office, pulling their hair out, throwing stuff up, and everything was trademarked. And finally, one of them said, oh, my God, I'm so tired of trying to think of names. I've got a migraine. And the other one went, that's it. We've got it. So it became migraine, M-Y-G-R-A-N. I'm probably mis, uh, misspelled that, but we've no, had a few. No, I, that, that's really cool because people will automatically say, what do you mean, migraine? I get migraine headaches, yeah. but no, it's migraine. Exactly. That, I like that when there's, there's a double meaning coming in on it. Yeah, yeah so. and like the, you know, that's the most common joke I get at beer. If it's like, oh, if I drink your beer, I'm going to get a headache, and then I get to you know, sit ah. there and say, well, actually, if you've ever had a, a Bud Light, that you know, light green apple taste flavor that you get as a seed aldehyde, and that's what gives you a headache. <laughs> So it, this it, is the migraine cure. Yes, you will. You will not get any of that green apple flavor in any of our beers because we actually let our beer ferment out the whole way. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so back to the back to the future. So um, what's going to happen? You know, coming up here in the next year, couple of years. Oh boy. Um, so right now, I mean, we're we're just. Uh, we're cruising along. We're expanding out our distribution footprint a little bit um, right now. So, laws in Illinois really are really restrictive towards pubs. Ken can speak to this mm. at length as well. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, as a pub, we can't self-distribute. We can only work with dis- with a distributor, and that means we have to have a distributor to sign with us. So we right now only distribute with the local Miller distributor, which hits Will, Kankakee, and Grundy County. Um, so right now we're hitting that area hard, expanding out a little bit, and kind of experimenting with it. It's been really interesting to see the difference between what sells in the pub versus what sells in the tap room. So you're, you're talking about Stateville Stout as one of our flagship beers. That absolutely is one of our flagship beers. Mm. It's one of our worst sellers in the tap room. But out in the market, it sells like crazy. I, that, that is the beer I brew the most, and about 90% of it goes out to distribution. It's really wow. fascinating to see. Mm. Um, so in the future, we're going to be, in the next couple of years, we're going to be expanding out that footprint a little bit more. And we're starting to play around with some, uh, some new styles. You're going to start seeing some limited one-off releases from us that are going to be going out to distribution and getting canned. Um, we've got our own canning line in-house. We're not using a, a mobile guy like a lot of the small places are doing. We really wanted to keep all that quality control in-house with us. We mm-hmm. didn't want to have to rely on someone else to maybe do an okay job canning our beer. So look, look for that in the future, and then uh, look for our distribution to expand out a little bit more. Are you going to move into uh, sours and fruity beers? Oh, absolutely. So, like uh, so you say move into fruity beers. I've got a couple of them on tap right now. We oh. just didn't try them. Um, right now, I've got an IPA with uh, mango and vanilla on. Uh, we've got a black IPA with raspberries on nitro. That's Ooh, a black IPA. Yeah. Thank you, my son. So we we decided, hey, these these milkshake IPAs are like really blowing up. What can we do that's just going to kind of turn that on its head? So we decided we're going to brew a black milkshake IPA. Um, 
not do any of the like crazy hop stuff with it. We just made a standard black IPA with lactose, vanilla, and raspberries and threw it on nitro because we wanted our servers to have to say all the words when they describe it. So it's, <laughs> it's this really like crazy out there beer that just tastes fantastic. Um, that, that sounds delicious. Yeah, so like we're like you know we're a pub, but we do all the experimental stuff too. We like getting crazy with it, um, mm. and then we're gonna start getting into some sour stuff coming down the road too. So it's cool. So the future looks bright. Oh yeah, man, I, and you know again, I've I've said it a couple times this interview, but I'll say it again. The reason I wanted my next brewery to be at a pub is it lets me play around and experiment. I can you know I've got twenty taps to play around with, so. We can we can do a nice wide variety. So there's I'm gonna go. Out, stuff, I'm gonna. There's sorry, a lot of kill. stuff you can do at a pub that mm-hmm. you can't do at a at a production place. Right. Uh, the the beer cocktails you mentioned, the beer mosa that you're doing with your saison. There's so much you can do with that. Yeah. Uh, you know we can't fortify beers with with liquor and package it and sell it, but you can make a cocktail, which is the same thing. Yeah. So there's all but, kinds of. Crazy yeah, I mean, I okay, so let's explore yeah. these beer cocktail things. What exactly are you adding to beer to make a beer cocktail? I mean, and why? Mixers. You, you, can add, you can add all kinds of... So let's, uh, let's just back up for a second. Let's take what's been the, probably the, one of the top five cocktails in America the last five years, the Moscow Mule. The number one ingredient in that is ginger beer. What if you replace that ginger beer with a Kolsch or a Pilsner or a Saison? Then it's a beer cocktail. It's, you know, just start replacing those mixer ingredients with beer. And that's what you've got. So we do we do beer mosas. Uh, my bartenders love to play around with a couple other different things. If you're ever in here and you're bored, you just tell the bartenders, hey, make me a beer cocktail. Just come up with something weird. Um... It, that you know. That being said, we're a brewery. Every time they do that, I'm like, oh god, you're just ruining my beer. But <laughs> it's you know, again, it's not true. Not not all. Not always. true. So if you have someone who you, like, you may get someone back there that is like really an artist with making cocktails. Oh yeah. And if they're using your beer to make something that is fantastic. It's yeah, the same as the chef cooking with your beer. You know, well, yeah, you want so to I've, cook with your beer. Uh, Does the chef cook with your beer? Oh, yeah. Like um, the barbecue sauce they make with our Stateville Stout. Mm. Um, he, does a, he does a bread pudding with our Saison, I believe. Uh, we're doing beer mussels with the Pilsner. Um, it, yeah, if, if you come in and look at our menu, like our food menu, the beer's still all over it. Um, but, yeah, getting back to the beer cocktails, he's like, yeah, I say that, but... Every time they give me one of those beer cocktails, it's always like, oh, okay, that's interesting. It, like, mm-hmm. it's, it gives you a chance to get a little extra spin on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what a lot of people don't kind of cotton on to, and maybe that's my problem, is I want, I want to have traditional beers. I want to have beers that are the different styles, all made well, so mm-hmm. I can sample them. But the tastes of the demographic today have changed. Yeah. So, you know, they want to have something a little different. Sure. And so you're in the business of basically making money. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to make all these lovely beers. Um, so, you know, try, try putting it into beer cocktails. Try mm-hmm. mixing it up. Try all the different things that well, you need the, to do. The other part of that is that, you know, how many groups 
of, of friends or like, like take a golf foursome. Say there's a foursome out playing golf. How often do all four of them get into craft beer? So if you want the foursome to come in here. Wait, is know, there a golf course out there? <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know. What, what else could I say? I don't yeah, know. I know what you're saying. You want, you want yeah. people who are coming in. Just a group of people. So if you're yeah. making beer cocktails, you know. And yeah. that's the other thing with a brew pub is you can, you can make. Yeah, I've I mean, got, you got I've wine got and you've bar. got liquor too, mm-hmm. so you can please everyone. So it's, I think yeah. a brew pub is, brew pubs are underappreciated, if you ask me. And as a brewer I, I at a brew agree. pub. Part, part of I the agree. reason that I wanted my next brewery to be a brew pub was hanging out with Ken at, uh, at Limestone and then at Hopvine. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to get to see, like, oh, everybody comes in here and, like, you know, I don't have to, like, it, at my previous brewery, I would always have the husband craft beer lover or the wife craft beer lover and the other ones just kind of dragged along for the ride. And they'll suffer through it, but they don't really dig it. it going to Ken's place, I saw, oh, that well, you know, she's having a beer and he's having a cocktail or he's having a beer and she's having a glass of wine, you know. So you you can really please everybody. I mean, it's, it's called a pub because it's it is a public house. It's for everyone. We want everyone to feel at home here. So it, it, it really lets us just kind of please everybody. Of course, a traditional public house has to have mismatched tables and chairs. Oh, of course. <laughs> and you've got to have three <laughs> rooms with uncomfortable beds upstairs. That's right. And, <laughs> and a yeah. snug. Oh, of course. And by the way, I'd like to apologize officially for breaking the chair at the Wolf Den snug <laughs> as I sat on it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but uh, more, uh, more of that, that later. Yeah, I'm right. glad that, that instead of chair, you didn't say wind. Yeah. Wow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and with that... <laughs> well, real quick, just to touch on something real quick. Uh, so the fun thing that with beer cocktails is it lets me have a back and forth with my bartenders. They'll make a cocktail or they'll make a beer cocktail and I'll try it and then it'll let me then try to make a beer that tastes like that on its own. Um, one of the fun things that I got to kind of play around with was, and it, it was kind of a holdover from my last brewery, is I had a bartender that really loved old fashions. He would always drag me out to this bar that was uh, a couple miles away and they'd give us like six or seven different old fashions. He said, if you could make a beer that tastes like this, it would be amazing. So. I took that as a challenge, and I then made a whiskey barrel-aged Belgian quad on cherries. And I'll be damned if that beer doesn't taste like an old-fashioned. It's, you know, and... That sounds good. Yeah, and he came in and he tried it. He was like, oh, damn, game stepped up. Now I've, uh, and since then, I've gotten a couple other challenges just back and forth with my bartenders. Um, Right now, we're working on a collab with a local bar. I'm not going to say who it is in case it doesn't pan out, but... He wants us to do a beer that tastes like, uh, God, I forget the name of the cocktail, but it's like amaretto, orange juice, and vodka. And it's, he said, can you make a beer that tastes like this? I'm like, you know, I can damn sure try. So we're going to start playing around <laughs> with some pilot batches. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of fun to make beers that really incorporate those different things and taste like different things. It's it's such a blast to play around with. I love doing it. But but still maintain the traditional baseline. Of course. Which you have with the stout, which is really good. Yeah, I mean there's there's such a wide variety in beer and that's the fun thing about yeah. pubs is I could I get to experience everything. We got we got everything from a pilsner to a black milkshake IPA with raspberries, man. It's it's been fun to do. And as Ken is here 
have you done any real ales, any firkins? Oh yeah, actually, um, we uh, are Pilcher's Pale Ale, which was named after an old limestone beer. We did in a firkin for their last event over at Metal Monkey, and you know, I I showed up both days they were there and probably drank way too much of it. I that, I, that was, it was between that and the the uh, Hallertau Middlefru dry hopped Kolsch from mm-hmm. Hailstorm for the those were the two best selling uh, Cascales that day. It's wow. I mean That's I, good. I I love doing Cascales. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I always, you know, I always tell the the fiance every time we go to Europe, I want to come in in Heathrow because a London is the best town to be jet lagged in if you're an American because everybody yeah, speaks English, and the town's only about like five square miles, so you can just wander around from pub to pub, and b any pub you wander into is going to have at least five or six beer engines, and I'm so I always tell everybody about this but next time you go out there just head south about 70 miles to the, okay. to the south coast town called lewis mm-hmm. harvey's been there since 1745 and i don't mean quarter to eight <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> they do tremendous car scales Sussex is the best English bitter you're going to find. Mm-hmm. But well, I'm if, a bit biased. If, if you want to talk English Cascales, uh, again, going back to London, that's the town I have the most experience with. Every time I go there, I always stop by, um, I believe it's Ten Bells. Uh, it's famous for being mm-hmm. the pub that all the prostitutes that Jack the Ripper killed drank at. But it, Wait a minute, which Jack the Ripper? They're saying there's several of them. Well, the... Either way, whichever one it was, <laughs> it's it's where all his victims drank at. Yeah. Um, it's in kind of an upscale neighborhood now, and it's all been gentrified, but that pub is still there, and they've yeah. really converted it in the last, like, two or three years into this amazing craft beer bar, and it's just, you know, you've got 10 mm. or 15 cask beers. They've got an upstairs now that's got another few cask beers, and if you want, like, a real cool cask beer experience in a historic pub in London, like, that... That's one of my favorite places to go whenever I'm over there. Tip for all you tourists. Yeah, next time you're there, man. Tell them them I sent you. They won't know who the hell I am. (laughs) Uh, At the end of every podcast, um, we raise our glasses. And I want to say thanks a lot, Dan, for spending time with us and allowing us to sample your beers. Cheers. They were really good. Thanks. I mean, it started off with a great regular IPA Mm -hmm. slash pale ale. Mm -hmm. Pale IPA. How's that? There we go. Sure. Um, Ken, it's good night from me. And good night from her. Him. Him. You're close. You were almost there. Damn it. (laughs) And thank you, Dan. Cheers. 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 Oh, nice clang. There we go. Can we do that one again? (laughs) There we go. Came out well. All right. I like a good clang. Oh, you got empty ones. Yeah, but it rings (laughs) nicely. (laughs) Okay, Ken, I'm going to have to reprimand you for being late. Come Come, please, on time, next time. Uh, all right. It's almost like you don't know Ken. <laughs> it's, my, it's, my, it's part of my brand. This it's is like signature. I, like I, I walk in late, man. I mean, I've, I've known you for, what, about 10 years now? I don't think I've ever seen you be on time. That is not true. I've really changed my reputation with the Beer Fest. I, I'm not the last brewer rolling in. Third to last. First out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Britain Yankee! Britain Yankee! I'll have a bite, Yankee! Go, give us a bite. You got any tetanus?
Uh, a pint, please, Bobby. Give me another pint, please, Bobby.